Please turn in your Bibles to the book of James, or if you so choose, the scripture is printed in your order of worship. We're once again in this book that is a practical guide to Christian living. I mentioned in the first service that there are um, certain disadvantages to only preaching occasionally in a book. However, um, the book of James is a great book to do that because James deals with a variety of subjects and, and a, in a lot of different ways, he helps us see what the Christian life looks like. And not only does he have a variety of topics with which we get to deal and consider, he also circles back and he looks once again and a little more in depth um, at, at a, a subject he has introduced in the early chapters. We saw that last time when we gathered, uh, when we looked at the power and the danger of the tongue. And we see that once again as we consider the subject of wisdom. I appreciated the, the scripture reading from Ecclesiastes and how it pointed to the value of wisdom. But there's much in scripture about wisdom. James has already told us in chapter 1 that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it will be given him. We have a promise that if we need wisdom, and don't we all need wisdom, but if we ask for it, we'll receive it. Because God is good, God is the source of wisdom, and he gives good things. He delights to give good things to his children. But this morning, we want to learn more about wisdom and recognize that there are two kinds of wisdom, two kinds of wisdom. So before we read this text, let us bow and pray and ask God's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of his holy word. Lord God, we need you this morning. We, we delight in the fact that you have given us your word, that you reveal yourself in and through its pages. And Lord, we need it. We need wisdom and we ask for wisdom, Lord, to live our lives and wisdom to understand your word and especially this text that is before us. Give us grace to receive it, give us humility to submit to it, and give us faith to believe it and to practice it, Lord, we pray. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, accomplish your work. In us this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hear now God's word from James 3, beginning with verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us this morning in his holy and inerrant word. We live in a time where there are a myriad of voices to which we can listen. We live in an age, as you well know, an age of instant news. And it comes from a variety of sources. And, 
And there, we're also subject to people who either purposefully or unintentionally portray themselves as experts on social media or in the news. And we have to be very discerning about who we listen to. This has perhaps never been truer than in relation to the current COVID pandemic in which we find ourselves and have found ourselves over the past several months. We the, the, the advice seems to change, and, and it, it's hard to know who to listen to, and it's hard to know what even we should do and how we should act. And people have actually, um, perhaps you've seen some of the, the YouTube videos of people that make fun of this sometimes seemingly conflicting advice. You know, you should go out. No, you should stay home. You should wear a mask. No, you should not wear a mask. All of these things. James is not necessarily telling us directly how to respond to these things, but he does help us to see that there is true wisdom, there is godly wisdom. James doesn't tell us specifically if we should wear a face mask, but he helps us see what true godly wisdom is. As I approached this text, I wrestled somewhat with the outline, and then I saw one that I borrowed, and, and you have it in before you. In your notes, it's, it's very simple. It deals first with earthly wisdom, then with heavenly wisdom. And under each of these headings, its origin, its characteristics, and its results. James compares these. Here's one, here's another. Let us look and see which we should pursue. So I want us to follow his guide in looking at earthly wisdom and then heavenly wisdom. In verse 13, in, in somewhat of an introductory or thesis phrase, James poses a question to us. Actually, it looks more like a challenge. For he says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James is saying, do you claim to be wise and understanding? Well, if so, let me examine your life. Let me see if your life portrays what you speak and what you claim to have. Remember that this book has had this feel all along, that James is all about helping us understand what the Christian life looks like as it is lived out. What are the implications of the salvation that has been provided for us in and through Jesus Christ? And if you think back to chapter 2, once again, he borrows language that he has already used. He talks about the faith that we possess should make a difference in our lives as believers. He said there in chapter 2, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Here James says, if you truly have wisdom, let, let it be shown. Let it be known. Show me your works. Show me your wisdom, is what he's saying in verse 13. Now he says that, that it will show in good conduct. Now there's two words in the Greek that are translated in our English as good. One means intrinsically good, um, having the quality of goodness. But here the, James, the word that James uses means lovely. The life of wisdom should be lovely. It should be beautiful. It should exude pleasantness. There should be an attractiveness and a wholesomeness to the life of wisdom. James doesn't set out a definition of wisdom necessarily. We can gain that from other scriptures. I think it would be helpful for us to think for just a moment upon wisdom defined, what it is. If we've read Proverbs, we see it in a lot of different ways. 
Um, the wisdom literature in Scripture, some of which we read this morning, shows us in a lot of different ways this is what wisdom looks like. We can see from Proverbs 2.6 that it is the Lord that gives wisdom. We, if we read Proverbs 9.10, we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Wisdom has been defined uh, by Noah Webster as the right use of exercise or exercise of knowledge, the exercise of sound judgment, either in avoiding evils or attempting good. We could say that more simply and, and uh, more concise to say that it is skill in the art of godly living. Skill in the art of godly living. James has told us, as we've already said, that if we lack it, we should ask it. And that we should expect it, knowing that God gives liberally to his children. James then begins to explain these two types of wisdom. He helps us to understand their distinctions as he compares the origin, the characteristics, and the results. James wants us to be aware of something that we too often forget. And if we saturate ourselves in scripture, it should become more apparent to us. But it often escapes us in the stress and the busyness of life. And, and what I want us to think about is this. That while we are living in this earth, in the here and now, in the, in the things that surround us that we can see, feel, and touch. In the stresses of our life that come from family or from, or from work or from whatever physical ailments, whatever the pressures of life are. Those are very real to us. They are very this worldly. Do you understand what I'm saying? But there's also another reality in which we exist. There is a spiritual reality that we need to consider. Paul speaks of it in Ephesians 1 where he says that in Christ we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual reality to our life in Christ that goes beyond this world that we can see, feel, and touch around us. So our text says, first of all, is that there is a wisdom that does not come from above. We've called that in your outline, the earthly wisdom. And the reason we've called it that is because James says it is earthly in its origin. That's the first thing he says. He says three things about its origin. It is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it is demonic. Now, we don't have to think too hard. We may not know what all those terms mean, and we're going to try to tease them out a little bit. But it's not too hard to recognize that it's bad, okay? That it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. To be earthly means to be of this world only. It is worldly in, it, in that it is confined only to those things that are observable upon the earth. It is earthly in that it shuts out God. It is only concerned with the here and the now. It does not consider the things of God Secondly, James says about the origin that it is unspiritual. One commentator I, or a preacher that I listened to um, said that we could capitalize the S in unspiritual because it is unspirit. It is against the spirit. It is against the working of the Holy Spirit. It excludes God. Another term for it is natural. And that is natural in the sense that it is opposed to the things of the spirit. Because this is the way that, that other places in the New Testament speak of the natural man. That it is in opposition to the Spirit of God. 
It is the attitude that says, I can live how I please because the only existence is the here and now. Not only is this wisdom earthly and unspiritual, James says finally that it is demonic. Now that is strong language and we think, wow, wait a minute. No, wait, is, is there not some, some good? Is there not some common grace in, in, in wisdom? Well, there, there is in a sense, but what James is helping us see that is wisdom that only pertains to this, wor this world is anti-God. And it is against the spirit and it is, its source is in Satan. Perhaps we need to be shocked a bit. James has already used language that helps us see that the tongue that is not tempered by grace and is allowed, allowed to speak out of the sinfulness of the heart is set on fire by hell itself. Think of Jesus, how he responded so strongly to Peter there in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus had just told his disciples that he would be crucified, that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would raise again the third day. And Peter is shocked. And Peter speaks out of earthly wisdom. And, what is, and, and he rebukes Christ. And Jesus' response to him is, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Peter was responding with simply man's wisdom with wisdom that ignored the spiritual. The origin of that wisdom is in Satan. The wisdom from below is demonic. So what does this earthly wisdom look like? What are its characteristics? Well, James tells us two of those in chapter, uh, verse 14, where he says, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Now, this word that's translated jealousy here really means zeal. And there can be an aspect where if we are, have zeal or are zealous for good things, then there's a positive connotation to it. But here it is obviously negative because the word bitter is attached to it. James is saying that one characteristic of earthly wisdom is polluted, bitter desire. And when you couple, couple that phrase with the idea of selfish ambition, you get a picture of an individual or a group that is only consumed and concerned with their own desires. It is to promote your own desires and interests at the expense of others. It is looking out for number one. It is seeking to promote yourself and your own interests without regard for another's needs or desires. It is self-promotion, self-aggrandizement. It is antagonistic. It is seeking to get to the top of the hill and not caring how many bodies you have to step on to get there. It is sharply defending your position simply because it's yours. And this kind of selfishness naturally leads to boasting. The person that is only concerned with themselves only want to talk about themselves. It is tied to this idea of earthly wisdom because men who follow a godless wisdom become a law to themselves and think that they have to prop themselves up. They fail to realize that, as it says in Psalm 75, that promotion cometh neither from the east nor the west nor from the south, but God is the judge who putteth down one and setteth up another What then are the results of this earthbound, earthly wisdom? Well, look with me at verse 16, where James echoes some of those, the, those phrases again. He says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
There will be disorder in every vile practice. Where bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are, what follows is disorder. What follows is chaos. And it's natural that it would. Because when everybody's out for themselves, they're not concerned about anybody else. I, I think of the illustration of, of, I don't know if, if you remember, this is going back a number of years, but the, the series that Francis Schaeffer did, How Shall We Then Live?, where he's talking about worldviews and, and philosophy, and he, I, I believe he's illustrating the point of anarchy. And for some reason, many of those things went over my head as a kid. But I remember this illustration where he's on a bridge, and he's talking about where, you know, if, if there are no laws, somebody has to give. And this bridge is only big enough for two people, and, and, and he pushes the other guy off the bridge. And I'm, I'm thinking, this guy in knickers and the funny hair and this calm-sounding voice just pushed this guy in the water. But it was a very vivid illustration of the fact that if you are a law to yourself, then chaos ensues. Chaos is a result. Disorder and every vile practice comes from that. Now, this applies in a universal sense, but remember that in the verse, opening verses of, of chapter 3, he's dealing there with people that would desire to be teachers in the church. And this warning against selfish ambition, I think, especially applies within the church. Now, don't raise your hand, but I think if I were to ask for a show of hands, many of us would, would say that they have been in a church that has split over something. Because... Unfortunately, that is more common than we would like to admit within the Christian experience. And, and those are deeply painful. But what is the source of those rifts, of those dissensions, of those divisions? Often it is a falling out over one party's interests over another. Jealousy, strife, selfish ambition. James wants us to see the origin and the characteristics and the dreadful results of earthly wisdom. He lays out his case because he's calling us to something better. He is issuing a warning against the wisdom that comes from below. And he's calling us to wisdom that is from above. Heavenly wisdom. As we consider this heavenly wisdom, let us look first once again at the origin our text doesn't really tell us as much about the origin of this as it does the origin of the earthly wisdom. But we know, as we've already mentioned, that the Lord gives wisdom, as it says in Proverbs. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. What a glorious promise that is, that God is storing up wisdom for his upright children. We need to grab hold of that, saints of God, and recognize that there are stores of wisdom for us as God's people. We need to ask for it. We need to seek it. He stores up sound wisdom. It seems just a, a given in our text that this wisdom comes only from God. This idea, this phrase, from above, is another uh, phrase that we have seen in chapter 1 where he's told us that every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the father of lights of whom there is no variableness or shadow of change this wisdom that comes from above it is one of those good and perfect gifts that our heavenly father gives to us and we know from new testament passages that wisdom is found ultimately in god's son jesus christ 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that Christ is the wisdom of God. 
And Colossians reminds us that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Learn of him. Learn of Christ and his ways. Experience salvation that can only be found in and through him. God has revealed himself in Christ. And to learn wisdom, we must learn Christ. So what does this heavenly wisdom look like? What are its characteristics? Well, if you look at James 3.17, you see that James is pretty excited about expounding what this heavenly wisdom looks like. And I will apologize to you. I, I realize that after we, we laid out the format of your notes page, that there's only a small space given for the characteristics of heavenly wisdom. Because there's eight of these aspects here that James lays out for us, and I hope we can unpack a little bit. I will remind you, and I would, I, would, I would give you this assignment for this afternoon, is think about this list that James gives us. Think about his description of these characteristics of wisdom and compare them with other lists in Scripture. One of which I would like you to consider is the Beatitudes from Matthew 5. Another is the fruit of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul gives us in Galatians 5. Because there are similarities here with this wisdom from above that James gives us. He tells us, first of all, in, chapter, in verse 17, that it is first pure. If something is pure, it is free of mixture. It is, it is free of pollutants. It's the opposite of several metaphors that James has already given to us. It's the opposite of the double-minded man in chapter 1. The one that is pure is single-minded in their devotion and dedication to God. It is the opposite of the spring from which flows both clean and bitter water. It is the opposite of the fig tree that produces olives. James has used these metaphors in, in chapter 3 earlier to show us the, the, um, the, the irony and the, the foolishness to think that, that one could speak both blessing and cursing from the same mouth. He says it's inconsistent. It's not pure. It's not right. And there's also an element of moral purity, being above reproach. Thomas Manton has said this about this, this verse. He says, the pure are those that believe the pardon of their sins in Christ and are renewed by the Holy Ghost. There is not only an abstinence from sin, but a purging of the consciences and a washing of their hearts in the fountain open for uncleanness. The pursuit of godly wisdom will result in lives that are growing in holiness. That doesn't mean we'll be perfect. That doesn't mean we will never sin. But it means that we are seeking to grow in our obedience. If we look back at um, the book of Deuteronomy, we see that the way of obedience is the way of wisdom. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, as, as I hope you know, Deuteronomy is a book of Moses' sayings to the people of Israel, to the people of God, as they are preparing to enter the promised land. And he says there in, in chapter 4, verse 5, he says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, and that you should do them in the land that you are entering in to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for they will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Obedience brings wisdom. And he goes on, he says that who, these peoples, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. 
Why? Because they're great in and of themselves? No, because they wholly follow the Lord, because they obey his statutes. There is purity to this wisdom that comes from, a God, from above. Now, purity of life does not have to result in dour, long-faced Christians. Holy Christianity is not the opposite of joyful Christianity. You can be happy and holy. This concept of purity is really the first and foremost thing. And the other seven characteristics flow out of that purity. He says, next of all, our text says that this wisdom is peaceable. Proverbs 3.17, again, drawing from the rich treasures about wisdom there, says about wisdom, her ways, meaning wisdom, her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. The one who possesses godly wisdom is the one that, who pursues peace with others. They are not only peacekeepers, but they are peacemakers. What is a peacekeeper? A peacekeeper is a one that just hopes nothing ever blows up. That there's not a conflict. But a peacemaker is a person who genuinely seeks reconciliation. Men, if you know that you have hurt your wife, do you hope she forgets about it just to keep the peace? Or do you pursue her and seek forgiveness and reconciliation because it is the right thing to do and you do it out of love and because you've committed to love your wife and because you are seeking to be obedient to God? If there's someone in the church that, with whom you've had a falling out, do you avoid them because you think that they have to make the first move towards reconciliation? Or do you move toward them? Do you seek them out? Do you seek to work through Matthew 18 to bring true reconciliation? I've heard it said and I've, I, I've seen it play out that, that often in conflict we pull away. We pull away from relationships and it only makes it worse when really as the people of God, we should move in. We should move in to seek unity and harmony. Are you a peacemaker? If you're going to be a peacemaker, you need the quality of gentleness, which is next on James's list. Gentleness is the opposite of harshness or severity. One synonym is meekness. Now, we, in, in, in our culture, I think it's still true today, we tend to equate meekness with weakness. That's the way the ancient Greeks saw it. But when Jesus came in and said that he is gentle and lowly, he is meek, as it says in Matthew eleven twenty nine. yet this same Lord Jesus could make a, a cord of whips and drive out the money changers out of the temple. So let me ask you, are you a gentle person? Fathers, are you gentle with your children? I think it's something that many men struggle with because we haven't had good role models of men that are manly and yet gentle. You can be both. James goes on. He says that this heavenly wisdom, this wisdom that comes from above is open to reason. Another version translate the, translates this as willing to yield to others. It means willing to listen to others. It means that you know that you are subject to error, that you can be wrong. There is a difference between knowing your mind and having your mind made up. There is a difference between knowing your mind 
and having your mind made up. Knowing your mind is thinking through an issue and having some sense of what is right and wrong about the options available. Having your mind made up typically means that you're unwilling to listen, unwilling to reason, and only seeking to remain unconvinced. As one has foolishly said, my mind is made up, don't confuse me with the facts. We want to continue to persist in the way that we want to think. That doesn't mean that we have to be wishy-washy or unable to decide something. It doesn't mean you cave into every whim of other people. It doesn't mean that you're willing to compromise on, on issues of doctrine and scriptural truth. But it does mean that you're willing to listen to others, to reflect upon their reasoning, and seek what is right and good and biblical, even if it's not what you had previously thought Now, these three characteristics, peaceable, gentle, and open to reason, are, are really the polar opposite of what James has used to describe that earthly wisdom. There we saw envy, jealousy, selfish ambition, pride, self-seeking, and self-will. But James says the wisdom from above looks just the opposite. Peace-loving, considerate, and easily entreated. He goes on. He says this wisdom is full of mercy the person who possesses heavenly wisdom is a merciful person. And we, of all people, saints of God, we should be the most merciful people in society. Because we have been redeemed and we recognize the pit from where we've come. We recognize the, the awfulness of our sin and our unworthiness before a holy God. We have been shown great mercy in Christ. So we should be the most merciful people in society. James has given us his explanation of mercy in chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. There he showed that mercy is shown in love for neighbor. And in a love that, that compels us to action. The attitude of mercy should flow readily from believers because we know it so well. But we find it easy to show mercy to those like us, I think. We find it easy to show mercy to people we like. But what about the people that irritate us? What about the people that are unlike us? What about our neighbors that we kind of wish weren't our neighbors? Do we have to be nice to them too? Well, remember in Luke 10, the lawyer posed the question to Jesus after he had said to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, well, wait, who is my neighbor? He wanted to know who he really had to love like himself. Jesus didn't respond directly, but responded with a very vivid parable a story and he launches right into it. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Here's this man laying there half dead. Who is it that comes by? The priest. The priest doesn't stop. Who comes by next? The Levite. The Levite doesn't stop. Who is it that stops? It's the Samaritan. It's the one that's unlike this man. Jesus closes the account by asking, which of these three proved to be a neighbor to this man in his time of need? It was the one who showed mercy. So we should not ask, who is my neighbor? We should ask, how can I be a neighbor? How can I be that merciful one that shows mercy to others? And I just have to pause here and think about reflecting upon the events of this past week. And, and 
while I don't pretend to know everything that happened in Minneapolis, our hearts as people of God should cry out against racial injustice everywhere. Because as, in, as uncomfortable as it is, there is still racial injustice in this world. And it is a sad thing, and it should stir our hearts to repentance and prayer that God would bring justice upon the afflicted. We should also pray that, that those who respond in ungodly ways would be checked in their violence as well. We should be a people of mercy Mercy enters into the difficulties of others and shows compassion and seeks to help, primarily by pointing to a God who is rich in mercy. He continues, and we'll quickly move through the rest of his list. He says that, that they should be full of good fruits. James, once again, is stressing that the life of faith produces something. It produces good deeds. It produces good works. He continues, he says that... that this wisdom is impartial. James has already warned us about the danger of partiality in chapter 2, where he said, if a man comes in and find clothing and a gold ring and is obviously rich and, and um, uh, with great resources, you shouldn't give him a place of prominence at the expense of, of a poor man who comes in in shabby clothes and you put him over in the corner. James is saying, look, we are all in many ways equal before the throne of God. We are all sinful, lost, and without hope apart from Jesus Christ. We are all in need of Christ's redemptive work within us. And if we have been saved, it is because of God's great mercy to us. And we recognize that. This is saying that it's not the way of wisdom to prefer some over others based upon their ethnicity or social class. Finally, he says that it is sincere as we said earlier, James doesn't instruct us about how to wear or what to wear under what circumstances to wear a, a mask, an N95 mask or whatever it would be. But here he's warning, warning against a different mask. That's the mask of hypocrisy. Because this word here harks back to ancient days of theater where instead of uh, makeup, they would just simply wear a mask and they would change their appearance with the mask. And James is saying that true wisdom, godly wisdom, heavenly wisdom is without hypocrisy. The wise and godly person is the real deal. They are the same person on Monday morning that they are on Sunday morning. They seek to follow after the same wisdom on Friday night as they do on Sunday night. They are sincere. So what then are the results? We've seen a long list of characteristics of godly wisdom, of heavenly wisdom, this wisdom that comes down from above that is given to us. What are the results? Look with me at verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is, shown, is sown in peace by those who make peace. I love to watch a combine harvest a field. I've, I've never been a farmer. I've, I've often, often fancied that I would enjoy it. I know there's a lot of hard work in it. One of the things that makes it beautiful is the fact that they are reaping the effort that they put into that harvest over many months. There's a lot of work that goes into a wheat harvest or a corn harvest or whatever it is. And when you see that combine picking, cutting and, and gathering up that grain, it is the result of many months of hard work and effort. And what James is saying here is that 
that there's peace and unity and healed relationships and reconciliation. What does this look like, saints of God? This looks like nothing less than revival where the people of God are on their knees seeking after God's ways and God's wisdom, and they are forsaking the ways of the world and the worldly wisdom that so often influences us. As we seek to grow in the wisdom that is from above, we should grow in its characteristics. We should become more merciful, more peaceable, more sincere. Christians are those who realize they don't need a mask, or they recognize that their mask of pretension has been torn off and that they can be honest with God because he loves them and that there is a way of salvation provided for them in Jesus Christ. They know they can't hide from God, but they also know that the grace that is theirs in Christ. We must remember that we have to come as we are. We have to remember that we're far worse than we think, but God loves us for, far more than we ever realized. It produces a life of joyful godliness, of a person growing in grace. As we close, James has put before us two types of wisdom, two very different pictures of wisdom. One is earthly, unspiritual, and devilish. It seeks its own. It's self-centered, insists on its own way, and it results in chaos and disorder. Beside this dark picture, James shows us that wisdom that is from above, that heavenly wisdom that is pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, merciful, fruitful, impartial, and sincere. And the results are a harvest of righteousness. As we reflect upon this and see these two things compared side by side, I trust that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. Because as always, the Spirit works with us in different ways. But I would guess that every individual within the sound of my voice this morning has experienced this earthbound, this devilish wisdom in different ways. Maybe you're a person that, that just loves the news. But unfortunately, most of the news we hear is based upon this earthbound wisdom that only thinks about the here and now. And so especially of late, it is nothing but despair. Maybe for you, you need to turn off the news and listen to some good teaching on the sovereignty and the goodness of God and recognize that God is still in control no matter what is going on in the world around us. Perhaps you've been heavily influenced by, by secular culture and entertainment, much of which is simply godless, much of which is just based upon the wisdom of man, which is often devilish, demonic. If that's the case for you, turn that off and seek God in his word. There's, there's so many ways that this earthly wisdom influences us. So my challenge to you, people of God, is to recognize it where you see it. Keep that filter up that would say, this is earthly wisdom. This is not wisdom that is from above. And seek Christ because he is the wisdom of God. For it is in him that we find true and lasting wisdom. So I ask you, what kind of wisdom are you pursuing? Let us pray.